Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Carrie, do you want to lead us in prayer? Can you can you start us in prayer in this program? I felt I felt moved to do that. Seriously? I did. I was sitting here and inside of me there was this sense that as I blessed myself, I thought, Carrie's supposed to lead this prayer. And then I thought, I'm gonna get in trouble with Carrie. And then I thought, oh, I'm getting overly spiritual. And then I thought, no, this is from that place inside of me that I know I need to at least make the offer. So I said it. I wonder how many people think, why does Tom always lead in prayer? I don't, maybe that's, maybe that's behind this. Who knows the reason why? Um, yeah. Who knows the reason? What was it? What was the source of the prompting inside of me to say, Carrie, would you lead us in prayer today? I, I think... My initial thought running really fast in the background, you know how like when you dream in, in just a, a blink of an eye, you have a really long dream. That's kind of like in my discernment, there's a whole bunch of content that came pouring forward longer than they, uh, it took to say, Carrie, would you lead me, would you lead us in prayer? And it was, Carrie has something to share in prayer right now that is meant to be said. Tom, get out of the way. Give her the space to step forward. That is awesome. Okay, well, let me think. What does the Lord want to say? (laughs) (laughs) No, you go with the flow of the Spirit. Go with the flow. Oh, that's so great. Uh, Sure, I'll lead in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Lord, I ask that you help us to have a good and noble heart, that the seed that has been sown produces great fruit. Lord, in the areas where we need to repent, where you need to help us be aware to change our attitude and our actions, that the Holy Spirit would come and reveal those areas where you lovingly, mercifully draw us closer to you and cleanse us, purify us, make us a vessel that radiates your love, your goodness, your mercy to all. Lord, we desire to persevere. We want to see fruit. We want to glorify you in all that we do. Help us, Lord, in our doubt. Help us in our unbelief. Help us when we stray, when we disobey. And Lord, surround us with friends, family, spouse, children, to encourage us on this walk, on this journey, Jesus. You're such a good and faithful Savior. We love you, Lord. Amen. The Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, dear. That was, uh, that was really beautiful. I don't know all the reasons why you said what you said, but when you did say that, uh, something else came to my mind, and that was uh, Taiwan. I haven't really given a lot of thought to Taiwan and the visit of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, to Taiwan, but there's been a lot of chatter around the people would maybe call it saber rattling or the the heightened rhetoric between um, China and the United States and even these like military exercises and sending off missiles over territory and all of this. And what came to me when you were praying was the way in which we don't appreciate the prayers that the Lord uses as a hedge of defense against 
a tragic disaster, like a nuclear disaster. I, I think that um, there are, let's call them like near misses or close calls that literally it's God's mercy that wards off um, hor horrific happenings that we couldn't even imagine. You know, I, I think we have that for the little things. People say, oh, I've got proof of the guardian angel exists because, you know, the swing set is swinging and it was just swinging back when the person came by and instead of swinging forward. And it's like, oh, wow, guardian angel just saved my kid. How many times do we see that type of thing? But on the bigger picture of world events, who knows how the Lord, in fact, uses the prayers of his people to maintain mercy, to hold back evil from uh, exploding literally onto our world. Yes, and it goes beyond our prayers. I mean, the Lord knows that I do not pray enough for protection or I do not seek his grace or his um, fortitude in my life compared to what I've been given, compared to the mercies that I've been receiving. And I just think when we see him, when we meet in the final judgment, we will just see how the Lord went so far beyond our feeble attempts to call upon him, to draw upon his mercy. Not that we shouldn't, but... Um, you know, I was reflecting last week about our reunion that we had as a family, and I kind of felt as if the Lord had cured the lepers, and only one came back to thank Him. And I had a sense in prayer, my sadness and disconnect over thanking the Lord and being grateful and worshiping him for allowing that to happen in such a beautiful and wonderful way. And it was as if I said, okay, thank you, Lord. Now let's go on to the next thing. Let's go on to the, the next event, the next gathering, the next prayer meeting, the next you know interaction with a, a person, so to speak. And it just made me sad as the Lord was just sharing his heart and his love and his joy in, in doing that for me. And I just didn't even take time to really thank him. I, I think it speaks about my lack of relationship with him, as if there's this gap and there's this disconnect. And I I do this, um, it's kind of like a truth moment. In the morning, right when I wake up, is the first thing on my mind and in my heart, Lord, I love you. Thank you for this day. I praise you. So that moment where I wake up, is it that or is it, oh, my back is sore. Oh, what a terrible sleep I had. Oh my goodness, what do I need to get going? I wonder if Tom made coffee. <laughs> have all these little thoughts going through my mind. And the mornings where I wake up and thank you, Lord, for being my father. Thank you for creating me. Just that immediate praise. I just say thank you that I thought of you first. And it's not much of a testimony to my faith. It's more a testimony to my lack of, I guess. But... I hadn't thought about the idea of um, setting aside some time or bringing to our kids or to our, our conversation attention. You know, we really should do something to express our gratitude to the Lord for the mercies involved 
in letting that weekend unfold the way that it did and the generosity of the Lord that was poured upon that weekend. I think we just kind of take those things for granted, and that is a sadness. You know, I think as we do more worship, as we pray and are spending more time singing songs of worship and shout to the Lord and, you know, Lord, I adore you, I worship you, I praise you, it, I think, exposes me to, well, what am I worshiping you about, Lord? Besides that you're the creator, <laughs> our savior, and our comforter, and our healer. and But in those times of worship, Lord, I there are so many things from this day, or from this moment, or from this week that I just praise you for, I adore you for, I, I love you, I, I'm not worthy. And so I think it's a grace when the Lord allows us to see just how merciful and generous and protective he is towards us. But I just know that my prayers will never match up to his protection for us and his, you know, whether it's a nuclear bomb or whatever it is. It's just beyond what we could ever imagine or hope for. Yeah. Well, I I also think that you talked about sort of part two on that was um, a heart that is aware of the Lord's presence. Um, it doesn't, um, like it's not something that you have to stop and conceptually say, oh, that's right, I believe in God. I should acknowledge God through saying some prayers right now. But it's the idea of pray always. And pray always doesn't mean always be saying words of prayer, but rather live in the presence of God. Live in the, the reality uh, that God is the living God and he is all around me and he's with me and he's within me. And so there isn't a moment in the day where we um, aren't at least um, have that tangential awareness of God's presence. But that's definitely something that has to be nurtured. That's the fruit of a mature, maturing in the spiritual life. Well, I think when I said the prayer about the seed falling on good soil, it's what does it mean to have a good heart, a pure heart? And I think that is very relational. And I don't want to under state the need to f obey and follow his commandments and to study them and to know them not you know as we read this book that we've talked about the self love our, our self knowledge and self discipline it's not just knowing truth it's loving the goodness of god just the goodness of your father in heaven and that takes meditative time to 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 nurture that to develop that and i i just feel that there are many times where I just don't have that place and I've been busy about many other things. And I know it's a grace and I know sometimes it comes for a stronger time than others. And I know when you read the saints, you can just see that they, it's just constant fire. It seems that way in the readings that I read about them and we'll say, well, who are these people? As you read them and you don't sense that a lot in current literature of Christian and Catholic authors, but you certainly see it in some of these holy men and women of God because they just are so focused on that relationship with him. Well, I think that here's a, my, this is my theory. I've given so much thought to it, at least 30 seconds, <laughs> that um, if there are two phrases that are um, strongly experienced by pretty much everybody that's listening today, as something that we value highly in day-to-day -day life, the two phrases are plug and play and set and forget. 
So plug and play is what? I don't know. Are you serious? <laughs> I don't know. Plug. Plug and play. Plug it in and play it. A plug and play is you get something out of the box and to get it to work, you don't need a huge manual where you've got to do some complicated setup process. Uh, no, you plug it in, you turn it on, and you're good to go. Okay. Sort of like the... Uh, I understand. I just didn't know. I've not heard yeah. that term. Oh, yeah. No, if you think about the way we... The amount of work that it took for us to do... Um, to get a computer set up. Do you remember all the... Like this floppy disks you have to put in and all the programs you had to load in and all the, the setup activities that we had to do. And so it was, it was laborious and it was complicated. It was not easy. It wasn't going to happen quickly. You expected the things to break. Plug and play, baby. Let's go. You get it, plug it in, and you're good to go. And then the other one is set and forget. Okay, so set and forget is, oh, okay, you just have to do this once, and then it's just going to keep on working. Um, and that's not the, Jesus doesn't say, hey, kingdom of God, plug and play, right? Set and forget. No, it is... It's the field, it's cultivating, it's the seeds, it's the kinds of soil, it's the weeds and the wheat, it's the, it's the fertilizing, it's the tending to the garden, it's protecting it, and then it's slowly watching the seed die, and then you know the, the growth happens over time, and then there's the pruning, and eventually you come to fruit. Hopefully there's some fruit that's there and expected, but... The, the life of faith, growing in our life of faith, spiritual life, holiness, relationship with the Lord, it is something that is cultivated and tilled and takes time. You know, don't trust in quick and easy growth. Trust in the slow work of God. There was a famous, that was a famous phrase of this Jesuit priest, Tehar de Chardin, trust in the slow work of God. Yes. Isn't that powerful? Very powerful. You know, when we went to the Steubenville conference this past weekend, I grabbed a present for my daughter. And there is a cup, and on the cup it says, as I draw breath, as often as I draw breath. Did you, do you know what that means? Have you um, seen? Is it like, as often as I draw breath, I will praise you? Something like that? Or, uh, is it, it like, a, like from a psalm? I thought it was. I, I wasn't sure. I was like, hey, what does this mean? And it was from a St. John Vianney quote or a, a way in which he wrote to the, uh, a beautiful prose to the Lord. I don't know how to say it. It's a not as, as a prayer, but it's more like a, I don't know. Anyhow. Well, I can't wait to hear it. But Carrie, as often as I draw breath, we are up against a break. Nice. Actually, that didn't really fit, but it'll fit in a minute. Okay. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. More Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. 
So today, Carrie, you were just about to read a beautiful quote from St. John Vianney. And lo and behold, it's the feast day that we're recording this. It was yesterday on Thursday, but we're recording this. And uh, as we speak, it is actually the feast of St. John Vianney. I think when I read this prayer, I just that's, this is where I get the sense of how far I am, am behind in my relationship with God or where I lack and it's, there's a sadness in it, but it's not like hopeless. It's more just, to me, a mystery of the intense, beautiful closeness that holy people, men and women of God, encounter. This is what the prayer is, where it says, as often as I draw breath, I love you, oh my God, and my only desire is to love you until the last breath of my life. I love you. Oh, my infinitely lovable God, and I would rather die loving you than live without loving you. I love you. Lord, oh, it says, I love you, Lord. It gets us a comma. <laughs> I love you, Lord, and the only grace I ask is to love you eternally. If my tongue cannot say in every moment that I love you, I want my heart to repeat it to you as often as I draw breath. That's where it comes from. That's beautiful. You know, it's interesting. I quoted, um, it's a different quote of St. John Vianney that is about love. And he was being like challenged by someone about um, his, uh, the way he was living his life as a priest. And, um, and what if God doesn't exist? And he said, I will never regret having lived for love. I'll never regret having lived for love. That, that's how he knew God, God as love. So um, very powerful. So Carrie, you said that reading that you found very challenging. Um, is it that um, his way of relating to God as lovable? Is it that he, you know, here's a man and a priest, and he's speaking in a way that, comes across almost uh, feminine, right? That it, it's like very a, uh, affective, right? There, it's, a, it's a very um, almost emotional, right? Way of, of speaking to God, effusive, if you will. Um, so what was it that, what was it that uh, you found so like, startling that just stopped you in your tracks? I think when you read certain saints, you sense their heart, and then other saints or other great thinkers, you sense their mind. And it comes back to, for me, the Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram or your personality type. I think some people are strongly feelers and they're emotional and their heart has great passion. And I think others are great thinkers and they're logical and they make amazing arguments or bring insights. And so sometimes I'll read this and think, oh, he's a feeler. <laughs> He has a really passionate heart, and I'm not. I'm a thinker where I want to understand. I want to take apart and put back together. But I also have the heart part of it. It's just that's not my dominant. It comes in. It just comes in secondary. Um, and so when I read that, I think just his, his just intense focus that Christ is everything. 
morning, well, noon, and night, just fully occupied with who the Lord is. And that's so evident. And when you read that, and I think, oh, okay, that, and I'm not thinking, oh, I need to strive for what he has. I just think it's beautiful. I don't want to be discouraged by it. I think, like I said, I want hope for it. I want to find hope in that. But it also makes me, what's so beautiful about reading the older uh, saints and, and prophets is just the grandeur, the greatness of God. And there's so many ways in which the Lord loves each of us intimately, personally, specifically, and that we're all on this journey. So I think it's neat when the when you encounter different words or different senses or he makes you aware of, of something in your own heart and the very depth of your heart, it's just neat to see that, that beauty show up. I don't know if that makes any sense, but as I'm reading the book um, that we've talked about, self-knowledge and self-discipline, it really takes a whole chapter and talks about how the heart, um, loving truth and knowing truth, how they need to come together. And these two streams, he kind of compares it to two streams, a river, and that they need to come together. Otherwise, it can be very destructive. And I think in married, married life, typically I would imagine there's one who's more intellectual and thinker and one who's more passionate and they have the heart, but they both should complement or understand where each other's coming from. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling. <laughs> but... Yeah. So, do you want me to ask you a question? Well, let's make this personal. Like, <laughs> which one am I? Which one are you? Um, well, I know I'm a thinker. I think you're a thinker. Um, I don't know how you get degrees of passion. Like, if someone is very passionate and and something awakens in a person, I find it really attractive when that heart and that that connection comes alive. I know within my I. I think the key indicator for me is my relationship with my children. I'm I'm thinking more about how to love them than loving them and thinking how to help them. I don't know if that makes sense. But I will read certain people and know, oh, they really have a passionate heart for their their children. Yeah, how about, it's, how about the word affection? Sure. That might be a way of saying it. Yeah, not passion. It's more affection and love. And that's a prayer I have for to God. It's just one of my key prayers for the year is... Heal me in the areas where I need that affection needs to be awakened or bring it into a deeper level or Holy Spirit um, enkindle in me the fire of your love so I can bring that to my my family and to my kids. So I think I think that there's that nature nurture, right? So there is the the nature part is what you're saying in terms of, oh, it's our personality, it's our style and all of that temperament. But um, I an example I want to think of is there are certain movies that you'll watch. And at a certain point, you'll start crying, right? It's often those movies where someone's dying, um, like those Christian movies about the volleyball player or the, the one that gets cancer. And then they'll look at you and you've got tears in your eyes. You say, what? What? This is really, and it moves you, right? Yes. Um, where are you going with this? I, I'm telling you where I'm going with it. <laughs> and then there are other movies where they'll catch me. And it's like, ah, oh, dad's crying. Dad's good. I'm like, yeah, come on. How do you not cry at this? This is so moving. Okay, so what am I saying? I'm saying that St. John Vianney didn't generate love inside of him. That prayer wasn't generated from within him based on his study of who God is. He was moved by the one that he encountered. Like, 
if you will, we encountered a movie that moved us. Um, we also get moved by the. Um, we also get moved by the um, the reality of God, and He will move within us. He will move us to um, to then respond in that kind of prayer. So I want to say that that prayer from St. John Vianney is a beautiful sign of how the Lord had unveiled his beauty, his glory, his loveliness, his wondrousness, his goodness, and that all of that had poured forth upon and within St. John Vianney so that that was his response. This emerged from the relationship from the encounter. So when I see, when I hear that kind of prayer and you're saying, oh, I see the gap, I'm, I'm saying to myself, pray that the Lord would make that kind of encounter, have, have an encounter with you that is that overwhelming that that would be the prayer that would come out of you. That's where I went with the movie thing. Oh, okay. Are you a thinker or a feeler? Yes. In well, the, what in do the, you... By nature, Myers-Briggs, I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm kind of right in the middle, right? I'm kind of a thinker, I'm kind of a feeler. But um, when, when I take a look at the theologians that most draw me, uh, like you'd probably say, oh, Aquinas, because I love Aquinas's rigor, logic, clarity, and depth. But who do I also talk about so much? Bonaventure. Bonaventure comes in that tradition that goes all the way to a, from Augustine up, and then St. Catherine of Siena. These are saints that the mind and the heart are together. They're, the, the mind has sunk into the heart, uh, and, and it's operating from within the heart. So there's tremendous desire, yearning, longing that, that fills into the, the theology. You can't understand the theology without the heart. And so that's me. I'm someone that I, I guess I want to say is very much integrated. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to say... perfectly integrated. I didn't, I didn't say perfectly <laughs> integrated, but I'm someone that has... You know, you have people that are it's left okay. and right you brain. Don't, you don't even oh, have man. to. Yeah, just God. leave I, it. Don't don't let me. That was a trap. I remember the day when <laughs> I was more logical. Now I remember the day when I was more <gasps> emotional. Yeah, just now they're all integrated. Keep going. So, I think that um, because I am a bit of an idealist, where I see the ideal, but the ideal is that which must become real. That naturally leads to a kind of um, a kind of a, a passionate way of approaching God and theology and faith. So, so Carrie, this actually leads me to um, the Steubenville Northwest Conference because here you have 800-plus young people coming from around the state, and not just around the state of Washington, but from Oregon and from Idaho and um, who knows, maybe from some other places as Montana. well. Montana. Montana, yep. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, gathering in, in downtown Spokane for uh, a beautiful conference. And I, I think a lot of what was happening there was an attempt to awaken a faith 
that was more than just external conformity to beliefs or ritual practices, going to mass, um, external uh, intellectual conformity to beliefs, saying I accept these things, to a more holistic, a more integrated sense of I've encountered the living God and I'm going to respond. I think it's a bunch of teenagers that are super hyped to be together and socialize and check each other out. And oh yeah, oh, let's grow in man. faith. Let's <laughs> love the Lord. This is so cool. There's a lot of us. I don't know if they're that mature in their thought. <laughs> I would hope, but I was a teenager once. It's more just an exciting event to go to. And of course, hopefully the teachings are inspiring. Uh, small groups are great, but a lot of them come with their own youth group and they're kind of used to those kids. You don't do a lot of, inter you, there's not a lot of interaction with group to group to group. You are in your group, you stay in your group. You don't really get to meet kids in other groups. It's pretty tight. Unless you went up to someone and said, hey, what's your TikTok? Or what's your Instagram? Or what's your number? <laughs> then you could slowly start to meet other kids. But I think that's the one thing my boy said, that you're pretty tightly in your group, you stay in your group. Um, but, you know, I think it's great that Steubenville, that, that Franciscan goes around the country and they do, I don't know, about 14, 15 of these all over. You can sense where a lot of kids come from. I, rem I remember when I was at Franciscan, a lot of kids came from Missouri area, uh, Michigan, and of course they have like several conferences that happen there. Georgia was a big place. I think Georgia has three different conferences um, so you can look and see where the different conferences happen around the country. And I imagine in those areas, there's just real pockets of, uh, strong youth programs. And then in parts of the country, there's no, um, national or I, I don't even know. I imagine the diocese all do some kind of youth conference, but the way Franciscan does it is uniquely well-oiled, well thought through, very highly, um, it's great marketing. It's, <laughs> it's a great way to sow the seeds, it, right? Well, what college really, to go to. They know how to connect with the culture because they're that's their their profession or, or their connect job. Connect with the kids. Yeah, the culture yeah. of the kids. Yeah. They know how to connect to them. So it's great. It was really beautiful to see all the kids and the mass was really neat. Um it was a big venue, like the auditorium was huge. Um the music was solid. It was always, it's always really neat to see all the priests celebrate the Mass. I think it's neat. I think one of the priests told me they make sure that a lot of these priests are there and the retired priests step in at the local parishes so that there's a big representation. So the way the bishop supports it is beautiful. It's very holy. Um, you know, we didn't grow up coming to this conference because it was in Spokane, and we just had nothing in Seattle like this um, that was this, you know, this level of just fully faith and truly Catholic. So it is really neat to see just how faith-filled these towns and, and areas are around the Spokane area and in these different, you know, states. So Carrie, you mentioned a highlight for you was what happened after communion when, uh, you know, now we prayed and before they did the closing blessing, uh, it was the vocation appeal. Uh, wasn't that you, you, you were really struck by that. I just think it's neat that it's kind of like the altar call for Catholics. <laughs> a lot of times you go to a, a Christian event and you're on this retreat 
And they say, okay, if you haven't accepted the Lord, come down. You know, if you need prayer, if you want to do a reacceptance or a re-giving of yourself because you've fallen away or whatever. So for, uh, for this group, it was calling people into the seminary or into the religious life. Yeah, first they started with the, um, the, the young men. And uh, the priest, he's obviously done this before. He knew the, the, the throwaway lines, right? It was something like, I know some of you women are, girls are saying, hey, that's my boyfriend up there. And you say, hands off. He was never yours to begin with. Something like that. Goofy <laughs> right? high school humor, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he had a couple of those throwaway lines, which was, was, was really darling. But you found something moving in a way that I hadn't. But is that, I'm trying to remind me. You, you were saying that the, the act of having a high school young man stand up in, in the midst of his peers and he's revealing something. He's exposing something about his inner life, his thoughts, his heart, his relationship with God, his whole sense of what am I going to do with my life? And he's bringing it out into the open that he is considering or is open to that path that would lead him to the priesthood. And let's just say that that's probably not a typical conversation, even among Catholics in Catholic youth groups. So the idea that when he made the altar call, I was a little nervous, like, all right, how many guys are going to come up? And like, was, did you think there'd only be three or four? Or? Yeah, just a handful. Okay. I thought there, there may be, you know, five to ten. <laughs> And it's stretched along the entire length of that really large um, uh, platform, the stage. There's this, about 40 boys. What, did you count them? No, I yeah. just about I, I would 40. say you're probably right, yeah. I mean, that was, a, that was a statistically significant percentage of the young men. Well, and I think they've done an amazing job here in this diocese to encourage vocations. They've done the retreats. They do the groups. They have the, the weekly meetings. So there is a large group of boys here that just genuinely think, I need to discern this first before I discern becoming married or if I'm called to the priesthood first. So it wasn't... I, that's not it. No, that's... I want to say yes and. <laughs> yes to the first part. They do. Like Father Lewis. Uh, just as move you know. on. Are you going to detail me? <laughs> And you're right, is what I meant to say. You're going to wordsmith me as, up one as, side and down the other. As, uh, as for me, as moving as it is that young men would consider the priesthood, it's even more moving that young women would consider the consecrated life. Um, because that there, there's a little bit less like prestige, visibility, the sense that you're a leader, the sense that you are um, you have a role that has this degree of um, impact, like, what's a sister going to do? That, I think that's, that's, that's interesting. You're looking at me like with this kind of like puzzled look on your face. Uh, I just think it would, it, this is just off the cuff here. I think it would be easier for a female to go into the religious consecrated life than for a man to go into the priesthood. Really? I would have thought the opposite. Hmm. Now, why would you say that? Um, because of the guy's strong desire for intimacy in relations, <laughs> that that's such a dominant thing that they would have to give over. And I think females, they find great union with other girls. Like they like to share and talk. I don't think they have such a need to be, I don't know. I just don't think that it would be as hard. 
That's interesting. But okay. I'm thinking they're both beautiful and yeah. difficult. I just think it'd be harder for the guy than the gal. Huh. I have no idea, though. I'm just, like I said, off the cuff. I should uh, look well, it up. Well, let's just agree that I'm right. Okay, okay. we're up against a break. <laughs> Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. During the break, Carrie and I continue to <laughs> share our opinions uh, with each other about priest versus nun, priest versus religious. And we're finally at a common mind. We're going to move on. <laughs> so, okay. It I, sounds like it's like not even worthy to talk about. Well, because the prayer you you said a, you you read the scripture about sowing seeds and seeds on good ground. It was about noble. Pure. You used the word noble. Yes. And and I don't know what if it was the translation, but I'd never heard that before, and I really liked it. I thought Did that you? was really that's a great word. I I looked up that scripture a while back, and I love. Also, they use the word pure of heart, good, the goodness of God. I think we forget. I think we just forget what a good father we have and that when he asks us to come follow him, there's just this beauty and goodness and nobility. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah, I'm like a teenager. <laughs> and it's so easy for the enemy to exchange, oh, you're going to be, you're going to miss out like the FOMO of having a fun life or whatever it happens to be. And we're so quick in our culture to not want to miss out on whatever that sacrifice is, that submission. And I don't know, there's just a whole way in which the Lord has so much to offer us and we're just so quick to be swindled. Yeah. Anyhow, um, I don't think it's a worthy conversation actually to say what's harder if a, a guy or gal goes into the, to give their life for the church and, and to God. I just think that in today's society, they're both noble. Oh my I'll goodness! They're amazing. Yeah. it's amazing, and especially when you see these families where you have three or four vocations, it's very beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, the word noble actually reminded me of a conversation that I had with four, no, five of our six oldest kids. So uh, they were in the kitchen last night. Last night, I was in bed. You were in bed. You were had a migraine. And um, we were talking about, John, John Mark brought it up. He asked our oldest daughter, Mary Grace, who was home. He said, hey, I heard this in a talk. What do you think about it? And it was from Steubenville Northwest. And the, the idea was, what is pornography? And the what is pornography, we all will naturally default to, oh, obviously this has to do with like X-rated stuff. Stuff that's like all nudity and sex, sexual expression stuff, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the speaker at the conference 
said, let's kind of, let's pull that way back. and Let's come to a much earlier stage where you have anything that is written or pictures or even short little videos that have an intention um, or an effect that is either intended to or actually does lead to um, sexual, um, sexual arousal and sexual satisfaction, that those things themselves, even if they're not exactly pornography, they're the near occasion of sin. Like, okay, they're not sin, but they're the near occasion of sin. You get near to them, you're on a downhill slope right into the sin. And he had never heard that before. Okay. And so um, it all of a sudden, it was like, if that's true, John Mark's point, and this is where the conversation all then jumped off. Well, what does that say about you guys watching that guy who's super popular, millions and millions of followers, and he and that girl are doing these really cute things that, but when they do them, are they really dressed modestly? Are they really like presenting their bodies in a way that's pure and modest? Or is it in fact stirring? And um, does it in fact lead into lustful thinking or a, um, a, a, a diminished sense of protecting one's own um, sexual purity? What was her response? Well, they all were kind of like, well, if that's true, then we pretty much can't go on TikTok or on Snapchat or on Instagram because pretty much all the most po- uh, popular, uh, you know, content providers are are doing that. They're either really attractive or their interactions have a seductive quality to them. And it's like, gee, that's really convicting uh, or questioning. Like, we need to be more alert and aware about that. So I know that uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that the conversation got raised. And I'm thrilled that that conversation happened in, a, in the form of a talk that can lead uh, young people today, high schoolers today, to pause around what's the content you're taking in? And it made me pause to say, am I letting a bar be really low when they are taking in content from providers that you know are on mainstream social media channels and they're not walking around in bikinis, you know they're but they're still they have that seductive power to them. Are you talking about hot guys that the girls talk about? Hot guys, beautiful women, young ladies, and and the music they're doing, the the, the use of their bodies, the oh, way they're interacting. You know, I sorry because I don't <laughs> I don't go on TikTok at all, so I am kind of disconnected from that whole media, which I know is super popular, and I think I've just got burnt out on all of it. Um, I do know the suggestive dances that that was originally really popular about three years ago. I don't know if that's still a thing or if they've moved on with, now it's huge marketing to buy products, co- cosmetics, clothes, items. Um, I don't think girls are obviously turned on the same way as guys visually. Girls would probably, it's easier through reading stuff. And that's where there's a lot of really terrible stuff you can get caught up in reading. But I don't know. And I think anything nowadays on TikTok is way worse than what we saw 20 years ago. Right. So it's not even a question that, it's not even a question that what's out there today is so harmful. 
and hurtful to the souls of our children. Well, and it's not that we're trying to, again, it's how do you, mo- how do you, mo- um, what's the word I'm looking for? How do we maneuver that? How do we navigate? Navigate it? that. Yes. Well, Thank you. How do we, how do we have a sense of, um, of, um, not just awareness, but being on high alert regarding the responsibility that's ours to protect our kids, to lead our kids, to provide our kids with ways that are going to not um, let them fall into the, 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 the desires of the flesh. So. Well, and you have to feel that their time, I mean, there is a way in which their mind is going to be on something. So if we're not filling it with good things and beautiful things, and this isn't me, this is what I've been reading, then they're going to fill it with what's put in front of them or what they go after. And it's hard to not let them uh, limit to what they're going after because you can't, we're not managing them 24 seven. So then it comes to character and, and formation and how their understanding of what is good and how, and understand the battle and understand their, their self-will and their, their, their areas of weakness. And I don't know, but they have to want the good. They have to want... Well, they do. That's how they're made, right? So they're made to literally love what is good. All right. I would love to continue, but we're against a break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation on Sound Insight. So, Carrie... Uh, we're back here in the program, and we're talking about um, the the call that parents have to help navigate, help their kids navigate these challenges. Because you know, our we've got several kids now out of the house, or at least out of the house during the school year. Right, the college age now going to be a sophomore, so four of them. Um, and so, being able to equip them to be in environments that are going to be less likely to fall into that, it's it's such a huge thing, and. As much as you and I will bring it up uh, during our program, or I'll bring it up in the course of uh, a week or every other week on Sound Insight, it just feels like it's far too little compared to the um, the enormity of the impact of this on kids' lives. I just think that the Lord is going to pour out a supernatural, <laughs> supernatural phenomena where everyone will stop and know that he is God. Because I feel like we're in a losing battle. And I don't think that my kids are necessarily losing. I just look at the culture, and it feels like an impossibility. And the Lord's not going to leave us without hope or without conversion or without all that he can do to save souls. And um, I got to tell you a story. I just found this out today. This morning I was reading in my little prayer time. uh, Someone sent me a book. Um, it was about uh, Fatima, right? And yes. I've read books on Fatima. And this was a book written by the vice postulator of the cause of canonization. How's that for a title? Nice. Sounds Catholic. <laughs> yes. It's the nun who is overseeing like the gathering of documents and helping to navigate and move the process forward so that um, uh, the servant of God, Sister Lucia, the last of the three visionaries would be also uh, become a saint. And at the beginning of her book, she says, well, let me just walk you through the basics. If you already know Fatima, you can skip this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read it. I learned something new. You know what I learned? No. Uh, That the the miracle of the sun 
right? Which was the last of the of the the visits, the appearances of the Blessed Mother, uh, that happened in October seventeenth, uh, October thirteenth, nineteen seventeen. The miracle of the sun, right, happened seventy thousand people and all of that. Uh, two months before that, in August, the um, the civic leaders imprisoned. The three visionaries. Do you remember that? Yes. From the movie. <laughs> from, okay, from the movie. So they imprisoned them yes. so that they couldn't have the, the, the visit then. And this would happen six days okay. later. Um, what the Blessed Mother said, what I learned in the book, was that the miracle of the sun was going to be even more spectacular. The sign that was given, that was intended by God to be given to the world on October 13th was going to be even more overwhelming. But because those civic leaders imprisoned the the three visionaries, the Lord dialed it down. He held back the fullness of what he was going to do. And what is striking about that to me is the importance of our part, the importance of, of what's happening in this world has a way of, I don't want to say influencing God, but God, uh, God's action is not apart from our cooperation or our contribution to what God is doing. I doubt your words. Sorry. Does that sound terrible? Like, how do they know that the Lord was going to do more? The Did Blessed he... Mother told Sister Lucia. It was going to be way better. It was way better show, five stars, but I only give you a four star. <laughs> oh. I'm telling you what the vice postulator said All that right. Sister Lucia said to her from the Blessed Mother. So it's up to you if would you want to. Would it be? And, and would you're more. You're a questioner. I know you I am. Well, I don't like to get. I, I don't like the spiritual. I don't like spiritualizing things too much because then I feel like it leaves God. It it doesn't do him justice. He's so much more powerful than we are. And I don't know. It just sounds hokey sometimes. I, I am like that because I think. Maybe in my past I've been hurt or manipulated. I don't like to be manipulated. That's what it is. I, I, don't, I like authentic, true, real. And so sometimes it feels manipulative when I hear different religious people talk about different things. And it's like, okay, do you really need to manipulate God? He's so much bigger than that. And my relationship with him is really dependent more about... Well, what if you, what if you just change the language a bit and just say, God honors our response so greatly that... Our response is 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 done in relationship to what God is going to do. We see that in intercession because uh, then I just see grace in my life, and I think I just see all the stuff that I don't deserve. Or I see Saint Paul, who was this terrible guy killing and, and murdering Christians, and the Lord just struck him dead and blind. And so it's like, well, who was? How did that happen? That was just God's choice. Or how did Saint? How did St. Joan of Arc just all of a sudden get visions and locutions and all this as a three-year-old or five-year-old? And the Lord just stepped in and said, boom, I'm going to do this. But he does that in history. He just steps in and says, okay, you guys, just stand back. I'm tired of all this stuff going on. (laughs) Let me just do my work. Of course, we have a part to play, and of course, but I feel like God is so far beyond our part. That so, we're not, he's not going to be limited, but he also will incredibly bless us in eternity for what we did do. I think that... Um, <laughs> Are we getting theologically... I think what you're doing... So what it is, is um, you want to call it an either-or, and I want to call it a both-and. I want to call it a, a both-and. It's a paradox. I do want to call it a both-and. Okay, so can't you say that 
God shows his sovereignty and does amazing things. And at the same time, God also shows his sovereignty in part by honoring our sovereign contribution to what he is doing. Yes, but I also feel like, and, and this is not theologic, I also think that when we get to heaven, we will see and be rewarded for how faithful we were to him, but it will never limit him to what he wants to do. We're not going to hold God back. Um, you know what? Uh, but doesn't does that, sin hold God back? It holds us back to it, knowing him, but he's not going to be held back from loving us and showing us mercy. <laughs> I don't even know. I feel like I'm doing word gymnastics here. Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. I think of, well, uh, we, we were going to talk about the prayer meeting, and uh, the prayer meeting didn't I, happen because a, God's Holy Spirit <laughs> fell on the, on the house. It, it happened because he stirred us, and we finally said yes, or in his time said yes. You kept saying, hold the line, hold yes, the line, I, I'm doing I, something. Right? Maybe I just don't and want so the Lord to depend something. on me too much. <laughs> It's like, Lord, Maybe please, that's the conclusion you got to move beyond me. I, I have my limits. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> our Lord, limits. I just hope our church has its limits. Me. I just hope you're not relying on us to get this stuff going because if you're relying on us, Lord, ah, it's not going to go very God far. is just so huge and big and amazing. And just seeing what he's done through history, it's like, all right, Lord, let's go. Let's do this. But I do feel like there is something that's going to happen. I don't know what. And are, are praying and, and hopeful and, and excited about what he wants to do, but it's going to do something great because you cannot be losing thousands and hundreds of millions of, of kids on TikTok into darkness and the Lord just stand by and say, okay, there is a move of God that has to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen this year or in 20 years, but are all these people just going to be lost forever? It just right. cannot be. God is so yeah, much... I. So I agree with that. It cannot be. <laughs> it must not be, right? It, it must, must not, not be. be. And and yet it is. And so it's like the transgender ideology and, and the havoc it's wreaking, the social media platform. Just self-centeredness. Just our, We are all about ourselves, right. And God is way, way far away, If even if you believe in him. It's well, just a self-centered world. The Western world. prosperity of right now. Yeah, but it's in Europe and it's in other cultures too. It's not just here. Anyhow, mm-hmm. should we fight more? Do you just like go? Do you have another theological point? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's called deliverance. So there's a deliverance prayer that I'm going to be praying as soon as we get off the air. All right, folks, thanks for walking with us. Uh, the Lord is God. He is sovereign. And he calls us into an amazing role of participating, even as we witness as part of our participation. Amen. Witness his great work. Thanks Amen. so much for walking with us. Join me on Monday for more Sun Insight. God bless you. Babe.